Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? We are doing well. We're back again for another exciting episode. Yeah, I am really stoked on today's episode. Um, But before we get into that, it has been a wintry week and we've been really like, I'm going to give us some serious props for doing some good winter weather stuff. I think my, I think I might be good at cross country skiing now. Well, you've been getting out. That's half the battle. This is a lie. I'm not very good at cross-country skiing. But I have managed to master like the art of like the kind of run-glide kind of situation, and I'm feeling pretty proud of myself. Well, that's good. That's good. You're making the most of these wintry conditions. Yeah, and you're, you're fat biking. That's like a change for you. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's still same but different. It's more biking but uh, yeah again sort of using what we have at hand Um, what else is new what else do we have going on here on the the website over at consummateathlete.com a lot of good articles we're actually kind of back in our groove of five to six articles a week Uh, we did one on how to avoid or deal with slipping gears when you're riding so that's sort of a a or getting stuck between gears when riding sorry we're not dealing with worn cassettes yet yet uh, no, being stuck between gears, indeed, which is something that a lot of people will say. It's not that they're like actually stuck between gears. That's a skipping gears. That could be a different issue. Uh, but no, it's this sort of idea that the cadence is always too high or too low as you switch back and forth vigorously, trying to like hit a wattage or you know even just you're climbing up a hill and you're trying to find your groove. People will say they get stuck. So we talk about why that actually might be a, a nice thing to focus your training on is actually chasing this idea of sort of just not quite being comfortable and trying to get better at having a bigger range of cadences my range of cadence is about five well i don't know you also don't shift so i think (laughs) you you may be okay you may need to shift your range higher the tolerable range like you may have that sort of 10 rpm plus or minus you just may need to shift it a little higher maybe to get a little bit more speed out of the those old bones Ouch. Well, before you say anything more hurtful, uh, the other thing on our website is uh, we're kind of starting to book out some uh, tentative and like in real life clinic dates for the summer. So, you know, obviously things are subject to change, but we're sort of focusing on those small group individual sessions. And it's shocking how quickly things uh, things fill up. Yeah, I mean, it was a busy year for sure. And there's only so many weekends and so forth as well. So As per the article I wrote last July, which was like, you have less time to your goal race than you think. Right. And it, like you could boil it down to like, you only had like 20 rides left until your race in May, like last July. Mm-hmm. So we have groups already, I mean, even before Christmas, and I sort of put, put off any decisions till... Uh, just recently here, but looking at August for cyclocross clinics and so forth. So indeed, uh, you know, one person, small group, guiding tours sort of around uh, Collingwood uh, or skill instruction in our sort of local area. For sure, we're doing a lot of that. Uh, We're going to have a couple clinics that we put on, the log hop intensive, sort of getting used to mountain biking, getting started mountain biking, and then also by request for sure. So if we we do travel a little bit as much as possible these days, so we will come to you if we can. So definitely reach out. Uh, That could be on Instagram, just uh, DM us, or you can certainly reach out to us uh, via the website as well. You should find a contact page at consummateathlete.com. Yes, and of course, just our other reminder, we do have our new-ish book out, uh, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, and you can find links to that just over on consummateathlete.com. It's been pretty cool. Like We have been getting a lot of good feedback on it. I know I've been on a few podcasts lately talking about some of the stuff we wrote about in the book, and it's prompted a few people to get it, so we've gotten to hear from some new readers. And yeah, I think it's a very helpful resource for anyone who feels like they've kind of maybe maxed out their training or is just trying to figure out how to lead a more holistic athletic lifestyle. 
So yeah, definitely check that out. Yeah, I, I was talking to a client actually, sort of up in the in the north. We won't say which area, but you know, one of those northern territories or U.S. states. And he does a lot of fat biking, and he sort of does a lot of stuff sort of with the military as well. Uh, and, and I was really impressed. He came back, sort of had his big sort of fat bike race season. Actually, they ran some races. So it was more of the distance, you know, 100-mile type fat bike. It's pretty extreme stuff and obviously, <laughs> obviously spaced out. Um, but it sounded really intense. Like they were, you know, they'd start and then they were stopping to drop tire pressure and stuff mid-race. And so it sounded like a lot, you know, there's the nutrition, the dressing. And so he was looking. I was just really impressed that he, it wasn't just the fitness. You know, we had made a lot of progress with his starts and his power and, um, you know, he had taken that pretty seriously, but he was also looking at things like his hydration and his tactics and uh, the equipment and all these these different factors that went into a successful race, right? So mm-hmm. um, that is a lot of what our book deals with is sort of these ideas of health and wellness and tactics and, you know, habits, I guess, is, is the big word, right? Yes, exactly. Um, and, I mean, I guess on the note of the holistic athlete lifestyle, that feeds very well in today's, into today's episode. Yeah, overdue, I think, in a lot of ways. But I think this one got at a lot of the, the concepts and questions we had around red S or relative energy deficiency in sport, uh, which is related to the female athlete triad. But this is for all, all athletes. This is males and females. Uh, and just this idea of eating enough and eating enough at the right times of day. Uh, you know, and certainly looking at this over a uh, longer term as well, not just a single day. Yeah, we also get into all things overtraining. And I think probably the most important thing for me in this episode anyway, was sort of the definitions of overtraining and what we're talking about when we're saying overtraining versus burnout versus chronic fatigue. Uh, so we had Alex Coates. She is a former elite triathlete, current triathlon coach, and PhD candidate in exercise physiology. Uh, and she's done a lot of really great work with overtraining with Red S. She she actually calls uh, Red S her her sort of side hustle next to overtraining, which is sort of her her true passion. Yeah, and. She's a great athlete as well. She's done triathlon. She coaches triathlon now. And then she also, I, I liked the little bit, she she has a twin as well who did triathlon. So she's actually a, a twin study of sorts, uh, which is also sort of neat. So we took get into that. Uh, but I was really happy that we were able to look at sort of the overlapping areas that are you know, red S, overtraining, burnout, you know, there's all these factors, whether they're psychological, nutritional, training, you know, load, management. There's all these different factors that can play in and sort of derail us as athletes, right? And athletes of all ages. This is not a, you know, just for the kids. This is certainly for athletes at all ages, right? Where we might, you know, try and lose weight and drive things too too hard that way or just train too hard, right? And train too much. So there's all these different factors that play into this. And I think Alex did a great job of sort of explaining <laughs> the different uh ways we can get into trouble and then also we pull it back and and try and look at like how could we avoid getting into trouble are there some big concepts you know like eating before workouts or something that that might sort of help us avoid some of these things down the road yes so pretty much no matter who you are this is an episode you should absolutely listen to you should definitely share it with all of your friends this stuff is just so important to being a healthy, strong, dare I say, consummate athlete. So let's dive in and enjoy this conversation with Alex Coates. Okay, tell us all about your background as an athlete and how you got into the research that you're doing now. Okay, um, so my background in athlete, I started out as a swimmer, um, primarily a swimmer as a, as a little kid, and I would do those uh, kids of steel triathlons, you know, every summer with the like 500 meter swim or less or whatever. It was probably like 200 meter swim and then the mm-hmm. tiny little bike and then like a 1k run. Um, and I would do that every summer and then, you know, kept swimming, kept swimming, but it was probably by the time I was only like 12 when I knew that I wanted to become more of a triathlete than, than a swimmer. I mean, mostly because, uh, wasn't that good at swimming, <laughs> but, um, and I actually was pretty good at triathlon. So it was kind of, you know, that obvious path, but I stuck with swimming up until the end of grade 12, mostly because I knew that I needed to work on the swim for a triathlon. And then, there's not a lot of easy ways to work on the swim other than being on swim team. Yeah, or doing exactly. Swim. Exactly. 
although I um, was a backstroker and so it didn't help me <laughs> at all for triathlon anyway so I probably should have just quit early but that's okay um, yeah and, and throughout that time too I was also playing soccer and dancing and stuff so I did have you know a bit of a mix but I did know that triathlon was going to be my sport pretty early on um, and then my sister and I moved out to Victoria um, for first year university and the whole point was to train with the National Triathlon Center there so yeah, since then, it was just kind of full-on elite triathlon until um, 2015 or 2016. So that was um, when I was 26 years old, and I finally retired because I started my master's, and it just became too much. Um, you know, I wasn't able to handle the load. But yeah, considering like where, why I'm in the research I'm in now, which is on reds and overtraining, um, it, it was kind of this natural progression where I think even throughout my undergrad and training with triathlon, I knew that I wanted to get into exercise physiology and I knew I wanted to study these issues that triathletes in particular face from, you know, training way too much. Like we, we overtrain so badly compared to most other sports. And then also um, on the red side of things, at that time, it was just female athlete triad, but I also w was aware of the fact that um, men were getting stress fractures, men were having these issues too, and that it was there was way more um, to it than just bone menstrual health and like eating disorders. And so um, I even did like my seminar project at the end of my undergrad was on what I called the updated female athlete triad. And that was before Reds even became oh, a thing. So oh, yeah. man, you're I've been on this path for a while. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. And yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. triathlon. So that was kind of how I got started. And it is so easy to be overtrained in yeah. triathlon. Like, holy yeah. moly. It's just like crazy when you look at how, you know, like with running, it's so structured, you might have two or three hard workouts a week. And the rest are all just base easy volume runs. And with triathlon, it's like, you could do a hard swim every day. And then, you know, that afternoon you'll do a hard track workout. Like, it's just insane what it's you almost, do. It's almost, yeah, the, I think a lot of people come into it with the mindset that you're doing all three sports versus, like, I like how you described it, like, you were a good triathlete but not a, as good a swimmer. Mm -hmm. um, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's a different sport. Right? It is. So it's thinking about those interacting pieces more than, like, you're tripling, <laughs> you know, yeah. what a runner does. You're not tripling it. But I think that is the approach mm -hmm. people take. They get like a exactly. running training plan and a swimming training plan. and You've had a lot of athletes with this where they like come to you for cycling coaching and then you like look in their training peaks and they've stacked a run wow. plan and a swim plan yeah, on top so of yep. it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I wanted to, because overtraining is your thing, I really wanted to start with a lot of the common phrases that people use when we're talking yes. about overtraining. Well, definitions, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we'll try yeah. and go through like at the beginning of a textbook where you do definitions. So <laughs> see if there's yeah. Some, yeah. Some, some lay it out. Yeah. So I'll, I'll list them all first and then we can go into each one. But like when we, okay. when we talk to people on the podcast, we'll hear all of the different kind of like verbiages for it where you know you get overtraining you get burnout mm -hmm. you get chronic fatigue syndrome you get adrenal fatigue you get adrenal mm -hmm. failure um, and then when any whenever you mention adrenals you then get like five comments back that's like it's not a real thing it's totally a real thing it's not a real <laughs> so now that we have an expert on <laughs> let's start with yeah. overtraining it's because you said adrenal fatigue <laughs> overtraining okay. okay start with overtraining um, yeah, so, okay, there's a whole um, overtraining spectrum, which I'll go through real quick. So perfect. Overtraining itself is just the verb. And so you could, you could use the word overload, or you could use the word overtraining. Either way, it's just an increase in training intensity or volume over that with what you're used to. So I think that's like the big thing to remember is overtraining itself is just the increase in training intensity or volume. And it's okay not the, that, so that it's okay in, in small doses. Though. Yes, exactly. Because you require a certain amount of overtraining or overload, overload in order to have that adaptation, right? Um, so then if you're following along with the spectrum, so you, you do the over, overload training. Um, and then, you know, with that, you should have a small amount of fatigue. And so we call that acute fatigue. And that's fine. That's like healthy, normal. You should 
be tired after training, but then you should also be able to recover from that. So maybe you take a day of easy training or you just, you know, need a day off. That's fine. And then you bounce back and you have like this micro super compensation. So that's like the ideal training world. Now, if you keep overload training or overtraining um, past that acute fatigue phase, then you'll get into overreaching. And so uh, overreaching is the first point where you start to see a decrease in performance. So that's the big distinction between overreaching and acute fatigue is you have this decline in performance. Um, And I like to say like, you know, if you had a gun to your head, you couldn't hit the same times that you're used to hitting. So like it's a physiological, it's not like a mental thing. It's physiological. You cannot hit the times you're used to hitting. So that might be like after if we went away to Victoria, like everyone is this year in Canada, and we did a a week or two weeks of really hard training, big training block, and then came back to the snow. Yeah. Um, That might be the situation we're in. Exactly. So I call it like the training camp fatigue. And in my studies, um, that's essentially what I did. I did a three-week training camp type situation where you just hammer people. And by the end of the three weeks, you should see a, a good decrease in performance and then you know that they're functionally overreached. So there's two types of overreaching. There's functional overreaching and non-functional overreaching. And the only real difference between the two is with the functional overreaching, you bounce back and you should have either the same level of performance or super compensation after about a week of recovery. With the non-functional overreaching, you kind of dug yourself so far into a hole that it takes a really, really long time to get out of it. And then you don't have that super compensation. It's mostly just because now you've lost fitness in that recovery period. So that's the difference between functional and non-functional overreaching. But if the research right now is pointing towards, like we use the term functional overreaching, so people think it's necessary for, you know, an increase in performance. But we're starting to see now that you don't need to ever have a decrease in performance to improve. Um, You can just get to that acute fatigue phase and avoid the holes altogether. And you'll probably improve to a, you know, a faster degree and a better degree than if you do this functional overreaching. And there's probably a few athletes listening that would enjoy hearing that because I know a lot of people are nervous that they're not getting away for their spring right. training. Yeah. And I'm trying to say like, no, no, we're just consistently training. Now we're you consistently tra- you, don't, you don't have to travel. You don't have to recover after that big dose. Now mm-hmm. we just do traditional training for extended periods of time and the risk is much lower. Exactly. You know, and the benefits. Okay, so that's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Like in my one overreaching study, I had a group that was overreached and a group that just did their normal training. And then, so my overreaching group had a decrease in performance after three weeks. And my normal group had just like a maybe baby improvement in performance by the end of three weeks. And then they both did a taper and they both improved to the same amount. So it was like, why did the, you know, overreaching group have to suffer so bad if they all were going to improve to the same degree? And there's also some kind of markers of health that went down in the overreaching group. So it was like... It was just kind of another and, proof of concept. Like you don't and need then to I wonder, Right. And then you wonder the risk reward too. Like if you're yep. pretty sure most people will improve with the like consistent training mm-hmm. versus the, the big cycle. And then you wonder on the individual level, did we lose a couple? Yep, <laughs> in the, exactly. in the, right. Like how many in the training camp got knee pain or saddle sores yep. or whatever. Or right? got sick or yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the time down too, right? Just mm-hmm. like, was it extended, right? Cause it's like, okay, one week off, but then how many people needed two and three weeks? Yeah, maybe? exactly. And then when you're getting to the two or three weeks off, now you're non-functional overreaching, which means you're not going to improve. So right. yeah. Right, you're back a step. Yeah. yeah. You flew, so you flew across the world and now you're, you're back exactly, a step. Exactly. Yeah. I really okay. like the model of acute fatigue, just like don't dig holes, you know, consistent improvements and. Okay. Well, you're yeah. speaking to our bias. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So then, so that's is that all yeah. of overtraining? So, then is that sort of? There's one more. There's overtraining okay. syndrome. Okay. So overtraining syndrome is yeah the bad one. What's interesting about overtraining syndrome, even like from a definition perspective, is within the definition it acknowledges that there's probably external um, stressors that are causing it that are not just training and recovery. So it's almost. Um, outside of the spectrum itself in the sense that it's like you can't just keep training harder and harder and harder until you get overtraining syndrome chances are you'll get non-functional overreaching and just kind of stay there um 
with overtraining syndrome, it's like you need these external factors. We don't really know 100% what they are, but, um, you know, like altitude training or training with viruses, illnesses, training with, um, I don't know, just a lot of kind of like. Maybe nutritional, like something weird. Yeah. Just other other stressors, I guess, right? Like yeah. something, even a life stress or you're also working, you know, on your mm-hmm. master's, you know, you can mm-hmm. do it to like that. Exactly. And so overtraining syndrome is one of these things where, um, like it's very, it's like the, the symptoms are so similar to chronic fatigue syndrome. So it's like this unexplainable fatigue where you cannot exercise. You can't like get out of bed to get out of bed and exercise makes you then have to like, you know, sleep for the rest of the day, just uh, brain fog and depression and just this overall, like kind of unexplainable, but severe fatigue. Um, and so that one, yeah, I mean, like, I, I, that one to me is not part of any of the normal training progression. It's just this extreme case, and we need to treat it like chronic fatigue syndrome. And it's almost good in the sense that, like, now, I mean, not that this is good, but with COVID and all of these people are now coming down with post-COVID viral chronic fatigue syndrome, a lot more research and attention is being paid to this. Um, and it's right. the same. it's the same thing. Like, I think it's just your body's immune system just – shutting down or overriding, you know, all systems essentially. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So with chronic fatigue syndrome, are they, they're not exactly the same thing though? Like they present the same? They present the same. And honestly, like you can almost consider them the same because it's like, there's no clear, like, I mean, there's the trigger. So the, the only difference would be that the trigger is likely from exercise or training, whereas the trigger from chronic fatigue is we don't really know. Right. Uh, that being said, like, because the symptoms seem so similar and, I mean, chronic fatigue syndrome, people can't really exercise either. They have this crazy post-exertional malaise. So um, it does really present itself as the same sort of thing. Which is I, guess it, you, I hesitate to use a physical, but it would be like you can break your leg a lot of different ways. You may just not do it, you know, racing triathlon. Yes. Like just break your leg. Walking yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, I mean, obviously we need to do a lot more research on it. Um, and I, I've kind of wanted to go that route myself, but then haven't because it's very like case study kind of, you know, case by case basis. But yeah, the symptoms are so severe. My, my twin sister had it or still kind of has it because it just never seems to fully go away. Um, but that's then, what I've heard. Once you're mm-hmm. down that far, it's a hard thing to ever get back on top and start training again. Yeah, I don't, I haven't met anybody who's like made a full comeback when they've gotten to that full depth. Like my sister can train sort of, or she can exercise. She can like, you know, live a normal, healthy life at this point, but she can't she can't train and she can't race. Like it'll settle back for months if she does. So. Okay. As an exercise physiologist, how awesome is it having a twin? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because it it just goes to show like how environment and like different circumstances just, you know, dictate your life because we both were elite triathletes and uh, my, my sister just kind of went on all these altitude training camps. She was having a lot of yeah gut issues and everything. And then, basically ended up with full-blown chronic fatigue syndrome and then meanwhile like I was fine and able to continue racing and I hadn't gone on all those altitude camps and everything so yeah interesting kind of case of what can happen so I'm wondering you know in in your studies maybe or Mm -hmm. you know is it is it I've heard that it's hard to overtrain just on volume would you agree with that statement like Um, usually you're intensifying the training and that's you know mm -hmm. related to your sister and some of the people that Mm -hmm. are intensifying it with these like little extras or with it extra intervals and high intensity like is that Mm -hmm. true is there any truth to that it is pretty true it's kind of funny I have a friend colleague um out in Liverpool who was also doing a similar overtraining study as I was at the same time and he um tried to overtrain his athletes or overreach his athletes just with volume and it didn't work like he didn't uh succeed in seeing that decrease in performance whereas I did mine with I don't know if you guys are familiar with wing gates but like the most high intensity exercise ever so we did repeat wing gates and uh it worked so yeah there definitely is some truth in the intensity drives a lot of these 
issues. And, and so that's not to say that the other study or someone doing a lot of volume might not overreach or mm-hmm. be functionally or non-functionally overreach. They just, to get to that overtraining, it's harder. And I guess that relates to some, like the central nervous system just yeah. isn't as involved maybe when yeah. we're talking about, maybe that I, even relates to like adrenals or hormones and all these things. Yeah, I think it's a big thing. I think a lot of the symptoms you see are driven by just this kind of increase in sympathetic activity throughout the body that's just driving yeah, all of these hormone changes and everything. And so if you don't have that, because you're just kind of doing a lot of base volume, then it probably just takes a lot more before you start seeing the symptoms. Ooh, but what if you had like a really stressful job and yeah. like a lot of like mental and emotional stress on top of a big yeah. volume situation? I think that could do it. I think that could do it. I mean, that's well, I mean, I was training with intensity when I kind of overreached myself, but yeah, with doing my master's and training and just like not even, I would like, you know, schedule out every minute of every day because my life got so crazy. And yeah, without even having what felt like, you know, hard training, I was super deep in a, in a hole. So I think like, yeah, it, it's it's just the addition of all the stressors for sure that, so I guess that you're saying too, like, and I don't know, we don't need to go down the adrenal fatigue if you don't want to even touch it. Um, I do want to touch on like her her take (laughs) on it. But that's sort of this fight or flight sympathetic versus the parasympathetic is what we're talking about. Like uh, endurance and, you know, especially longer endurance tends to be more parasympathetic stimulating, Mm -hmm. right? Unless Mm -hmm. that's the idea. So yeah, what do you you think? Is there adrenal fatigue in part of this? Yeah. So we don't, um, usually call it adrenal fatigue because it's not the adrenals usually that are at fault. Um, It's either like higher up or lower down. So I guess to be clear, um, I mean, you can have cases of people with Addison's disease and then it actually is the the adrenals, right? Right. Um, But, but usually what it is like thyroid or. Yeah. So the, with either reds or with overtraining, you do have this, um, hypothalamic pituitary axis kind of dysregulation. Um, and so you can have like with, with red, so with low energy availability, you have the decrease in your thyroid hormones and your growth hormones and your, um, what is the other one? Gonadotropic releasing hormone. So it's top down, right? And so all of these kind of brain to pituitary hormones are being suppressed, which then causes the decrease in the adrenal hormones to be produced. But it's like kind of, I guess, a misnomer to say that it's adrenal fatigue since it's not necessarily the adrenals that are causing it. Um, And it's more central. It's more honestly driven by like, yeah, just kind of increased sympathetic nerve activity all the time. Uh Um, You can also have cases of uh, cortisol resistance. So just like you have insulin resistance, when you have just too much cortisol circulating all the time, those receptors are down-regulated. And so then they don't act to shut off the immune system um, in a, you know as sensitively <laughs> as they would. So that's also a case where it's almost like downstream of the adrenals. It's like you're producing enough cortisol, but it's just not being um, reacted to the way it should. So that can also happen in mm-hmm. like heightened stress situations that are just lasting forever, which would be the case if you were just overtraining for a long period of time. Right. So doing your high intensity at four in the morning and then going and yeah. working a successful <laughs> job and then trying to educate your kids and so exactly, forth. Exactly. Yeah. Stacking all of these things. on mm-hmm. Not that any one of them would be maybe okay, but yeah, yeah. it's just always. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you- and then the, the last one is actually the burnout. Burnout. Yeah. So, I feel like that's almost the more like emotional side of things. Yeah, yeah. So that's this like psychological definition, which is why you can apply burnout to like a job or, you know, it's not just the physical side. It's basically like you, I mean, it can be from overtraining, but it can also just be from like monotony. You know, you're doing the same thing over and over and over again and you just get so burnt out or this chronic low-grade stress. So yeah, it does refer to more of the um, psychological just like, I quit kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. And often I feel like you do actually end up finding them like overlapping with each other or like burnout yeah. is kind of maybe even like one of the early warning signs that you might be heading into some of those issues. Yeah. Yeah. The earliest warning sign for any type of like overreaching is these big decreases in mood, 
yeah, so depression or anxiety or or basically just lack, lack of motivation, that's kind of like your earliest warning sign. Um, and it is like linearly related to training load. So you increase your training load and your mood states are going to go down. Um, and it's, it's like kind of the simplest tool for monitoring. So with my own coaching, one of the main things I care about is just like comments after workouts and like kind of mood type comments because you just read so much out of you know your athlete from that if you if you're getting the vibe that they're just not enjoying training and they're not motivated or you know or they're like really grumpy and angry all the time you're pretty good indication that they're um not responding to the training the way that they should be do you record the subjective measures then in like a formal way or do you get them more in the comments more in the comments but that's mostly because uh, training peaks, I don't think has quite done the best job of that, uh, monitoring yet. Like, so the athletes can put in their little like smiley faces and stuff. And I see that and I appreciate it, but it's like, I don't know. It would be great if it was a bit more quantitative and a bit more like clear there. Sure. Mm. Yeah, we've done a, a couple of the camps we've coached for juniors. They've actually had them do like the Hooper McKinnon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was always really funny seeing like by, you know, day 20 or something, like the irritability is yeah. going way, way up. Yeah, yeah. So they, and they'd get onto it. So then they'd be joking about, oh, his irritability is coming up. Exactly. That's what we did too. We'd, we'd do that in training camps. We'd use the Hooper McKinnon and then like, yeah, whatever day we'd be like, irritability 10 <laughs> like i can't talk to people right now <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it's not hard we just used like a google sheet and the kids mm-hmm. would, would have their own and then share it like the coach had access to like all the spreadsheets mm-hmm. it wasn't you know it could have done way fancier programming and stuff right but mm-hmm. um, yeah it's funny how you see it. and it was just like you said like you did see changes you know on the individual it's not like like three for me is the same as three for you or whatever but yeah um, mm-hmm. okay yeah. So is that good? You got all yeah. your definitions. I got all okay. my definitions. Well, we haven't gone Feeling to red happy. S. So red S. Wait, do you wanna... Yeah, red S versus overtraining. Like where? where yes. is well, the yeah, I guess that's a logical step. <laughs> so reds or uh, yeah, red S reds. Um, it's basically so okay. We it started off with the female athlete triad, uh, which was I think it was 1997. Dr. Drinkwater uh, found that gymnasts who were in not have not eating enough calories or they had eating disorders um they presented with no period so amenorrhea and they had very low bone mineral density in their spines and so she kind of made that connection and so for a long time this female athlete triad persisted um until recently when Dr. Mountjoy came out with the kind of updated version which is reds and so reds the kind of updates to the model are that men are included. So, you know, we realize that men get stress fractures too. Men have low sex hormones as well. So they're going to have decreased testosterone instead of decreased estrogen. Um, and that uh, there's a number of other physiological systems that are affected by low energy availability or not having enough calories to meet the demands of training and life or recovery, right? Um, so she kind of updated this whole model. And so essentially, the big kind of symptoms of reds would be like early warning signs for women would be loss of period, loss of menstrual cycle. Um, Or for some young women who start training really early, they never get a period naturally. Um, And then you'll also will have decreased yeah, sex hormones, you're going to have increased cortisol, Um, you're going to have an actual decrease in your resting metabolic rate, which means that you're conser- conserving energy as much as possible, but then that actually stops you from losing weight. So, so you ha- and you can even have weight gain. So you're eating, you're not eating enough to meet the demands of their training and recovery, and yet you stay the same weight or even gain weight because your body's conserving every possible calorie. Um, oh, that just feels so unfair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's basically a loss of control of your metabolism, which, yeah, it's really unfair. Um, and then stress fractures, all this bone mineral density issues. So that's a, a huge one, um, particularly for young athletes because your bone mineral density like stops uh, growing by the time you're about 19 to 20. For women, it's 19. For men, it's about 20.5 years old. And so after that point, you're just losing bone. And so if you don't, you know, get that proper bone formation when you're young because you're 
you're training too much, not eating enough, then you're going to start having, you know, all these issues with stress fractures um, and osteoporosis, osteopenia. Yeah, so a whole host of problems. And then, of course, there's this underperformance um, that comes with it. So, yeah, the question, back to the question, which was the, the intersection between RADS and overtraining. Um, so there's this big paper that's going to come out soon by Dr. Mountjoy and Trent Stillingworth and some of these big names in exercise physiology. Um, and so I won't like tell what their results are. So they're trying to do a big kind of review on this, this intersection between reds and overreaching. And then I'm actually also a second author on another systematic review looking at the same thing right now. So we're just in getting into the results. And I think we're going to have slightly different findings. So our findings are that we do think that there is kind of two separate situations going on. There's overtraining, there's reds, and then there's, there is the intersection for sure. And the reason why we believe that's the case is because, so with reds, you're certainly going to have underperformance after a certain amount of time because, you know, you're getting injured, you're sick, you're um, just not able to uh, respond to the training. So we find that like young athletes who are in reds, doing the same training program as another young athlete who's on reds, they won't have these performance enhancements. So there's definitely like common features. Um, and then with overreaching, you're going to have some slightly different uh, symptoms such as decreased heart rate during exercise, decreased lactate production, kind of this like inability to push during training. But what's different between the two is that with reds, you can go get a blood test and like, pretty clearly see if someone's in reds or not based off of all of these these markers whereas with overtraining one of the defining features of over overreaching and overtraining syndrome is there's nothing there's no blood markers that show you that you're in a state of overreaching so i'm definitely of the camp that like you can underperform because you're not eating enough but you can also underperform because you are not um you're training too hard or, or not recovering properly and that's independent of calories mm -hmm. yeah it seems to me that a lot of the people who would fall into both camps that like i think if you are the kind of person who's putting yourself into like the the red ass side of things mm -hmm. you're probably also the person who's maybe pushing a little too hard in your training yeah exactly they cross over so easily and the other problem too is we don't have any studies that have properly done let's say like a three-week training camp while keeping people in energy balance that's never been done and it's just really hard to do because to like ensure people are eating enough to match their their expenditure is like almost impossible to track so it's a really hard study to do but um it's definitely what's needed because it's like the proof of okay can we keep someone in energy balance and then can do we still see overreaching symptoms when you keep someone in, in energy balance. There was, I, I might be making this study up, but I thought, was there something where they, they made sure that carbohydrate was like, they really overfed carbohydrate and then they like couldn't overtrain them? Yes. We saw that was a study. Um, yeah. So carbohydrate is a big thing in the reds, in the red side of the spectrum as well, because mm -hmm. we find that even people who are in an energy deficit, if they, as long as they have enough carbs and their glycogen stores are, are replenished, then they actually don't see the same symptoms of reds. Um, so you're right. I do remember that study with the overreaching. I think they just... That's why I haven't really ever had a red <laughs> reds issue. I think the problem with... Uh, and, and I can't remember the specifics of that study um, sure, sure. super I well. Sure. I think the big problem is always just like, did you do a good enough job with the overtraining? Like, would they have been overtrained without that, like, properly? Right. And then also, did you do a good enough job with the energy balance? And, yeah, I don't know. It's I think it's just going to take a lot more time to, like, more studies to fully delineate the two. Right. And I wouldn't say that I, – I, I really do think that if you smash someone hard enough and keep them in energy balance, you're still going to see symptoms of overreaching without mm -hmm. reds. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, kind of a weird, now that I'm thinking about it, the, the reds question, do you feel like there's more research being done on reds now that we've assumed, like now that we've gone away from it's just women, now that we've said like, it's men too. Yes. Uh, it suddenly feels like we care a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Honestly, one of my things that I was so grumpy about with the female athlete triad when I was young was um, there was like the first sentence of some like consensus statement, which was basically like, I obviously I don't remember the exact sentence, but it was something along the lines of like, we need to be careful with women because they're fragile. And it just drove me insane. Because <laughs> it's like, that's not the case at all. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like, I do agree that there's just been so much more attention now that there's this. And then even that it's not just about periods. Like, I mean, obviously the period is a great thing for women in the sense that it's our early warning sign and we're lucky that we have it um when it goes away we know that you know that's our early warning sign and guys don't have that but at the same time it's not just about losing your period it's like all the other symptoms that come along with it and so um yeah Mm -hmm. yeah also this is where i'm just gonna climb up on my soapbox (laughs) i get so grumpy about the the period thing because i feel like there's so many women who are on hormonal birth control who are on the hormonal iud's like Mm -hmm who haven't had a period for like a, a like real period. actual period for decades yeah. who are in sport like I'm in that camp mm-hmm. like I'm in that camp so to me like th- there's such a huge lack of like research into like where they are yep because you, you don't know if they're losing their periods or not exactly and then it's essentially like once again then it's like well now we're in the same camp as men in the sense that all the symptoms are going to be the same that we can track and so yeah then especially it's not that women are fragile or that we have to like focus all on the period which I mean yeah nothing wrong with periods obviously and I think they're it's worth it's definitely to track it but like you said like I mean hardly any women when I'm doing my studies are just you know no no hormonal birth control so yeah yeah okay Good. I'm glad I got that out. <laughs> so you're mentioning some of these early warning signs. Like you said, there is a blood test, but then is it, so if you're a parent, a coach, an athlete, um, you know, it, it strikes me that red S is still so early and so big that it is sort of nebulous. I think people just sort of turn off their brains a little bit with it, but like, should it be fairly clear when we need to start, you know, taking some action, asking some questions? Yeah, I think so. I'm, I mean, like, so the, earliest warning signs yeah for women would be loss of period or if you're a young woman and you're just not getting a period um I think it's it's very normalized for girls to be like 16 and they haven't had their period yet and it's like oh but you're an athlete that's fine and it's like well actually no all that that's doing is delaying the puberty that's going to happen eventually but like, and then you're just going to have this like crazy decrease in performance. And you're not going to be able to handle that in your phase of life. So like, maybe we should pay attention to that when they're 14 and like sport isn't as important when you're 14 versus 24 or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, our early warning signs for girls are going to be menstrual cycle changes and then um, initial weight loss in both camps, like guys and girls, is definitely a warning sign. I mean, I know that there's going to be kind of this natural cyclical, you know, around performance, usually people kind of naturally end up a couple pounds lighter because you've just been training so hard. That's fine. It's it's when, like, there's intentional weight loss and, like, large drops in weight. That's a big warning sign because chances are you're going to start having these red symptoms. Um just because that's what happens, right? Low energy availability leads to all these symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then what's going to happen too is once you you lose some weight, then you're just going to stop losing weight and then you're going to maybe even gain weight and then lose that control. So uh, that's definitely a big warning sign is like weight loss is, is uh, yeah, a big one. And then... Um, and that could be, this could be almost any age, right? And, and yep. you hear that quite often where like I, I'm eating nothing and I'm not losing weight yep. or I'm actually gaining weight and in this frustration cycle, mm-hmm. you know, and then, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like that's very common. So the idea is that like your body is starting to hold on to that almost in a starvation mode. So your temperature, you might feel like you're cold, right? This would be yeah, like- that would be driven by the thyroid hormones. Um, and yeah, same sort of thing. The thyroid hormones also drive the resting metabolic rate. So um yeah exactly you're just 
it's basically hypothyroidism, right? It's like just trying to conserve as much energy as possible. And it seems like there's a lot of people getting, you know, being diagnosed with that. Do you feel like some of it is because of this? Probably, actually, yeah. And one problem with that is if you get the diagnosis of hypothyroidism, but it's because you're in low energy availability, not because you actually have a thyroid problem, then you give them these medications and then it actually exacerbates the low energy availability because then you have like you 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 need to eat less almost. And so then um, the issue is even made worse. And then that's when you're going to have like some really big kind of down the road problems with bone health and everything. Mm-hmm. Which makes all of like athlete healthcare just like so difficult. Yeah. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. It's like you can't just treat an athlete like a normal person, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, there's some other like warning signs too with red. So uh, low heart, low resting heart rate, low blood pressure, those things happen with training, like with fitness, but um, same with, with overtraining. I say like, okay, you can have a decrease in heart rate, but if you also feel really exhausted and, and tired, then maybe that's not a sign of fitness. Maybe that's a t- sign of fatigue. Um, so in this case, yeah, blood pressure will be decreased with RETS. Um, and then, of course, once you're getting down the line, you can do blood tests and get uh, tests for sex hormones, for um, cortisol, for fasted glucose and insulin. That'll be low as well. Uh, IGF one will be low. Um, there's just like, kind of like, honestly, you can go get a pretty standard blood test and you will fall out of range low for most things other than high for cortisol. Um, so so that's, that's useful. And so then if a parent or a coach or an athlete is like, okay, I have any of these like warning signs, periods, lower performance, lower heart rate, um, the weight loss thing too. Like if you're saying to yourself, like I can't eat any less and yep. I'm trying to lose weight and I've lost weight, but now I'm not, mm-hmm. then you could go get these tests, be honest with the doctor and yep. say, you know, this is the situation. Yeah. And, and at least you'd be able to say like, yes, I'm out of range. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, what's almost nice about reds compared to overtraining in, in my mind is that with reds, you do have, you can go get a standard blood test or pretty standard blood test and things will be like, it's not even like it needs to be out of range for an athlete. It can just be clinically it'll be clinically low usually. So um, that's almost a good thing in my mind. And then you also have low iron likely. On that note, are you on board with like athletes getting blood work done kind of like to get a baseline and then like checking in every so often? I am. um, And I know that's kind of like a privileged standpoint, but I do think like, I mean, if you had a great sports doctor who was on board and you could get blood work every two, three months, that would be ideal because you, you'd be able to see kind of those changes across the training cycle. Um, And then you'd also know, like, I mean, even yeah, without even having some of the bad signs, you'd be able to be like, okay, look, like some of these things are decreasing over time. So I need to eat more, recover more, maybe back off of training a little bit. Um, I do think it's really useful and really helpful. And it's also like, it shouldn't be that you're completely anemic and like you can't get out of bed before a doctor gives you a blood test in my mind. But um, I know that's like the professional athlete kind of viewpoint. Yeah, but I don't, I think it's, it's getting easier and easier and like cheaper even to get blood work done. I think a lot of people, like I, a couple of years ago, we were trying to figure this out and I realized it actually isn't as hard as I thought it was. Mm. That's good. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I've seen like, we're talking a lot about sex hormones. So a lot of this, uh, when we're looking at warning signs too, would be libido, which I feel mm. like in endurance mm. athletic, it's almost like, you know maybe we're awkward people. I don't know, but you know, (laughs) there's, yeah. So I think for men and women, right? Like it's paying attention to that. I've seen a couple of good articles recently from athletes coming out and saying like, like I just was like a teenage boy and I had zero interest. Yeah. Like my whole teenage, Mm -hmm. this is not me talking. I was going to say. (laughs) Probably not much different. I've been down this path, but but this is all true, right? Like we're sort of looking at these natural tendencies, um, changes, you know, as an adult, you know, if you have a spouse and so forth too, like these are more obvious. Exactly. Yeah. The libido one, Trent Stellingworth with his athletes, like his national team rowers and stuff, he says that that's one of his like, I don't know, top three questions would he would ask, especially a male rower would be, yeah, where's your libido at? Because it's, it's very telling. 
Um, Cause there is that decrease in testosterone and then also, yeah, you're just exhausted yeah. then. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe a good sign yeah. for like, well, and, and it's like, it's, there's, it's like funny and it's uncomfortable, but then it's also like, these are also the hormones. It's not just sex. Like no. these are also yeah. like testosterone's pretty performance enhancing yeah. from what I hear. Testosterone is <laughs> very <laughs> performance enhancing and it also is what protects guys bones. Like it's why guys have stronger bones to begin with. And so you lower that and then now your bone strength advantage is gone. And you know, yeah, exactly. So, um, it's a huge, it's a huge marker. And I think so one thing that they talk about in the literature is that these questionnaires are almost just as good at diagnosing reds as like any other more invasive measures, because it's basically just symptoms based questionnaires. The problem is that there's so there's only one good validated questionnaire out right now. Um, There's the leaf cube, and it's only for women and it's only for women who are not on hormonal birth, birth control. So it doesn't help most of the population um they're coming out with another one called the lean q which is for men and so hopefully that'll also apply to women on hormonal birth control um i'm working with this team called one athlete and we're trying to make a a questionnaire it's going to be like an app like a recovery app where we'll also like track mood and basically all the things that i feel like are kind of missing in your standard training peaks type app Uh, but we're going to have a questionnaire that you would take monthly and it would get at these symptoms of overreaching and reds and hopefully detect it earlier. And like, it wouldn't require, you know, how many stress fractures have you had and how like all of these big things that are almost too late, I'm hoping to get ahead of it, but that's definitely still in the working phases right now. That's super interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the note of stress fractures, Peter has said this, I think in the past, do you feel like once someone has like the first stress fracture, now they're just like, it's probably going to keep happening. Yeah. Well, I think it's because once you have a stress fracture, so like, I like to say like bones are not really meant to break. I mean, obviously if you like fall and like crack it on a rock or something, didn't find whatever, but like in general bones are strong. And so like a stress fracture, which is a loading, your bone breaks because of you're just loading on it, which is something that like should actually help strengthen it. It means that the bone is very very weak. And so when you get to that point, when you start having a stress fracture, it means that your bone mineral density all throughout your body is, is low, likely. I mean, obviously, there's hot spots, and there's spots which it's going to be more thin than in other spots. And, um, you know, loading patterns will dictate like, which bone goes first. But yeah, usually, once you have one stress fracture, you can expect to have more unless you can do a really good job of trying to fix that bone mineral density issue. So that'll be with eating a lot and then with calcium and vitamin D supplements and then with strength training um, and probably decreasing some of your more aerobic based like endurance training just because it, it's got to be like a loading, a bone building phase, I guess. Mm-hmm. So really if someone has like that first stress fracture, like, it's time to take this super seriously. I think so. Like, I think it's quite rare. I mean, so the, the bad bones to break would be like your femur, your pelvis, your spine, like these big bones that are not meant to break. If you're getting like a little foot metatarsal stress fracture, that's far more common and it might not be like the worst thing ever. But that being said, like most people don't get stress fractures even if they're like ultra marathoners you know they can run forever and they don't get a foot you know stress fracture so it's like if you really can build up that bone mineral density you should be okay like it should be that a soft tissue injury will stop you before a bone breaks Mm -hmm. right well it also doesn't seem like your prescription for like improving bone density is that bad of a prescription i don't think so training i guess that's yeah. the question then so if someone's got hit <laughs> somehow you know we're, we've lost our period where we've got a stress fracture the, the blood test came back so then you know if you could control someone in a study like what would be like what would be the intervention to start writing the ship then mm-hmm. once we have read us so i think the big thing i have a bunch of points that i try to tell um you know, my athletes are when I'm doing talks and stuff. So the first one I like to emphasize is eating around training. So often, often with reds, we have a bit of disordered eating or eating disorders. Not, not always like often, sometimes it's just people are training so hard and they just didn't know they needed to eat more. But 
but in a lot of cases we do have like some disordered eating and and it's also societal right now right like with social media and body image and all that like we're being inundated with this appearance-based media and so especially with the young kids it's just so hard (laughs) but anyway so the first step for me is eating around training and so what that means to me is for every session you should go into that session fully ready to perform so that means you know having eaten at the right time and enough before this the session so that you can perform optimally like you would in a race like you know if I have a Zwift race at six I'm gonna have like a full meal maybe at four or 3 30 and then maybe like a gel or something so like I'm eating for that session so that I can perform optimally and then I eat after the session right away within that 30 minute window and if you can't take in much you know at least like a smoothie or some Gatorade or some sugar whatever ice cream whatever you can so you're recovering optimally right after that session and like so that then you'll be able to perform optimally in the next session so it's all about like eating around those sessions so that it's not it's not it's no longer about like what are my daily caloric intake or like you know what are my what am I trying to hit for the day that's not what it's about it's about eating so that no matter what when you go into a workout like you should never bonk (laughs) like you should never have a session where you're like oh I didn't feel good I was depleted it's like well then you didn't do your job you didn't eat properly and prepare for that session um Uh so that's my some of it is you know forgetting about some of these like weight things for a while and thinking about you know just even the good general practice you would read in any you know sports nutrition training book you know the eat before eat during eat after and ignore the fasted training if you know all these catchphrases that are the one percent that you when you described your sister you know Mm -hmm. this is the altitude training these Mm -hmm. are things later you might consider with a coach with an expert yeah. But a lot of us are missing these like 99% of fundamentals that work. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so you're saying that like we didn't really cover that, but this idea that like with Red S, some of it is the energy availability. So the energy being in you yeah. when you go to use it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and I think what we've seen a lot of younger younger and older athletes do is like don't fuel, don't fuel all day. Like all day, train, whatever, and then go ham at night. <laughs> yeah. Just like tons of food so like so they could end up like they could almost be in an energy balance uh but then have these symptoms yes exactly so there's two studies that i've seen already which have shown that and this was one was in girls and one was in guys and they showed that even if the calories were kept the same in both groups like yeah two two groups of people both of them ate the same amount in the day but one of the groups um didn't eat frequently so like yeah would have just eaten a lot at night to kind of make up that caloric balance and those groups showed signs of reds so when the women they had menstrual dysfunction um and decreased rmr and so that's resting metabolic rate and decreased estrogen and trending towards decreased thyroid hormone and then in the guy study they actually had separate groups based off of the one group had a low resting metabolic rate and those were the ones that were um, eating less frequently throughout the day. So they had bigger dips in energy balance. And so um, what you really want to do is make sure you're not going periods of time over like three hours without food. Yeah, which is counter to this like IF thing that's on the Instagram all the time. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah and it just strikes me that like even the health outcomes, you know, there's pl- time and place for everything. We're not saying anything's bad, but for a lot of the, especially younger athletes who are <laughs> active and just burning through this stuff, it just strikes me that, you know, you'd end up with all these negative things of just like blood sugar crashes and being yep. hangry. And it's like, that's really bad for health. Yeah. Just having this like constant flux. Really, it's really bad. Metabolic. It's bad, bad for health and bad for performance. And so I think like sometimes people have trouble caring about their health for some reason, but they can care about performance. So then it's like, you know, right. and that's that gets missed. It's just like your workout's going to suck. Yeah, and they're going to keep sucking more and more and more. <laughs> you're not going to get fitter from them. Like you're doing them for nothing if you if you don't yeah. treat and them it's properly. That, it's that consistency, right? And it's some some of it is like these these what is that like a lagging indicator? Like some of this, like certainly bone stress fractures, but even that that fatigue, the overtraining, or this red S, the period yeah. loss. Like that's that could be a month from now, two months yeah. from now, because exactly. you've been doing IF and not eating for whatever mm-hmm. the time span that's mm-hmm. optimal is yeah. yeah so that's literally my second my second rule or whatever so my first rule was eat around training my second rule is no diets and no no fasted training <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> because it's just like I mean 
I and I I'd like to talk about like this intersection between like popular media or like nutrition guidelines for a normal person versus the what you should do as an athlete and like they're just so completely different so you know if you're not really training hard then you can get away with intermittent fasting I mean intermittent fasting basically mimics exercise in certain capacities so it's like you can get away with it there you can get away with like very restrictive diets because you don't have this crazy energy deficit or anything so that's fine for like a normal not really training person but then for somebody who's training really hard like you can't add those stresses together. You can't add the stress of no carbs or no protein or, you know, intermittent fasting or whatever on top of hard training because then you're just going to get nothing out of it and end up worse off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, usually on top of all of those, you end up, you also, I've, I've noticed anyway, you usually have people who have like a lot of stress from school or work mm-hmm. or like family exactly. and all of these things. And we're just, adding it one. all on <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly it's like it's like yeah you've got all your life stress emotional stress you know family stress like everything all the stressors and then it's like and on top of that i'm not gonna eat <laughs> like this is great <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and i feel like that's all probably a bit of like for an athlete that's kind of just coming into this like control yeah. concept i guess like it's a thing that you know, someone who works another job and does all these other things, like how they eat throughout the day is a thing that they can control in addition to like maybe the the hour they can spend on training or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, there's so much um, to unpack. And there's even like, so like with eating disorders, there's, there's also like the side of eating disorders, which is an exercise dependency. And so when I say that, it's like, okay, now it's not so much that you're like overtraining because your coach gave you a lot of training or whatever. It's like you're exercising to control your shape because, you know, let's say like you eat something that you have decided is not something that an athlete would eat. Okay, well, now I'm going to go for another run to burn that off. And so now we're controlling, not only controlling our food, but we're also controlling exercise in a way to control our shape. And yeah, it's all about this like, control and perception of what it would take I guess to be a good athlete and yet it's like completely the opposite of what (laughs) (laughs) what you need to be doing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it um were there any other things on your list of Um, prevention here yeah so I've already kind of mentioned a couple of them so make sure to eat carbs because that's a big one in the preventing reds scenario um yeah, no long periods of time with throughout the day without eating. Um, my lab mate, Megan Keigman, actually just came out with a review paper on methods of healing from reds. And so um, she mentioned all those ones that I just mentioned. And then also um, strength training to increase bone, mineral density, and vitamin D, calcium to, yeah, same thing. And she says she recommends not having too much fiber in your diet. And so... I think the way that I kind of interpret that is it's more like people a lot of the time when they're trying to eat less or they're trying to be on like these really healthy diets, they eat a lot of fiber, which is the not giant salad for yeah, every meal. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not call that the recovery salad. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> you say that, like recovery salad, you like you raise your eyebrows. Like, yeah. No, this. it's not good because it's it's not calorie dense. You're not getting the the calories you need, but you feel full. So then maybe yeah, you don't eat more. And then also they find um it binds to some hormones and takes them out of your body. So estrogen in particular, it'll bind to estrogen. And so that's going to make your symptoms of rides worse, uh, particularly for females. Um, So that was another recommendation. Um, Well, yeah, I think like it's, it's the basics are really that you need to, I mean, yeah, reds is really scary and kind of one of those things where, it could set you down a path of like, oh man, I have, you know, an eating disorder or whatever. And maybe you do. And maybe like one of the steps is to go get help and get counseling and um, work through those issues. But then another step is just like, if that's not the case, then another step is just, yeah, fuel around training. Don't be afraid of carbohydrate, no intermittent fasting, no um, fasted training, just kind of like some really basics, but in order to increase your caloric intake and kind of get you out of this state of, low energy availability um and you can't you might have to decrease training volume but 
you can almost like do all those steps first and then and then if it's still not getting better okay maybe decrease training volume yeah that makes sense yeah cool um I feel like that was like such a good (laughs) breakdown there um before we before we kind of wrap up how can everyone kind of keep up with your work and you know keep an eye out for these papers that you have coming out good question um so I am on Twitter uh I think I do like most of my posting on Twitter I'm I'm super Alex underscore C that's my Twitter handle um I'm part of yeah right now I'm part of this one athlete group developing that questionnaire and everything um we're trying to make an app so you can follow us on one athlete on Instagram or or Twitter or anything um and then I my lab is the human performance and health research lab at the University of Guelph and we have a website and we post our labs research all the time and um so I think that's can be helpful Mm. yeah okay and then there's this upcoming webinar too. Oh, yeah. This is in where, where we are, February, March of 2021. Um, mm-hmm. We'll link to it, but can you tell us just briefly about what's going on with this, yeah. this webinar series? So there's going to be three uh, expert speakers or three seminars, I guess. And I'm on the Reds seminar. So I'll talk basically <laughs> what we just talked about. Um, and then within that, there will be four, I think four elite athletes that, that will tell their story as well. Um, and, it's it's promoted for women ages like 13 to 23 that's kind of our age group that we're really looking for but then we also have it open to anyone who wants to come but the idea is yeah sharing these stories around what happens or i guess just empowering young women and kind of giving them the tools to to handle elite sport so yeah there's the reds seminar there's the power seminar which is going to be a lot on like um power dynamics so you know, coaching dynamics and positions of power and everything. And then um, the other session is, oh, redefining failure um, with Lindsay Jenrich, which who's an Olympic rower. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm cool. super excited for that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, we'll put those links in the show notes. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for yes, your time. Yes, thank you. Thank you. This is fun. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram at consummateathlete and we will see you next week.